Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora and a big welcome to the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. I'm Alison Balance and this is episode 4, Action Stations. This is the podcast that is all about Kākāpō, New Zealand's giant flightless nocturnal parrot and the Boomer 2019 breeding season which is underway. In the last episode, Busy Birds, we heard how the 2019 season had started with a bang. Since then, I've been enjoying a tramp in the hills in Kahurangi National Park in the north of the South Island. And this really is the most incredible flowering and fruiting and seeding year for all our native plants. Now this is great news for our native birds. All of this fruit and seed is triggering lots of breeding, but on mainland New Zealand it's a two-edged sword because we also get lots of breeding from the mice and the rats, followed by a stoat plague. Of course, all of these predators then promptly eat all of these new birds. But on predator-free islands, this bonanza is nothing but good news. That's why kākāpō breeding is going off this year. Now in Action Stations, episode 4 of the Kākāpō Files, we will discover the truth behind the old saying, don't count your chicks until they hatch. We'll find out about the leaky home situation, as it applies to kākāpō nests, and we'll hear about the bespoke solutions that the kākāpō team have designed to combat the problem. And of course, those kākāpō just keep on having lots of kākāpō sex. Let's find out more from one of the kākāpō rangers who has just come off one of the islands. My name is Brody. I'm a ranger on the kākāpō recovery team and I'm based on our offshore islands uh, monitoring our kākāpō population. So what does your job as an island ranger generally involve? It's quite varied. Uh, no two days are the same, uh, but basically it involves a whole lot of what we call hill work. So it's time outside spent uh, radio tracking our birds um, and potentially catching them to do health checks just to see um, how they're going. And it also actually involves quite a lot of hut work. So that's maintaining our um, island infrastructure um, and organising logistics for our remote locations, um, as well as lots of data entry as well. Now, we've grabbed you for a chat after, I think, a long helicopter ride and a bit of travelling today, and you've got a bit more travelling to do. Where have you just been, and how long were you there for, and what's your weather been like? I've just come off of Anchor Island in Dusky Sound. Uh, I've spent the last four weeks there, so I've arrived just before a really um, kind of busy period just kicked off. The first two weeks was um, really, really warm um, and sunny conditions every day. And then the second two-week block that I was there was kind of more traditional fjordland weather um, with a bit of rain and some quite strong winds. Now, we heard in the Busy Birds episode of the Kākāpō Files, which was episode number three, that you had a very busy Christmas and New Year on Anchor Island with lots of Kākāpō matings. How many of the Anchor Island females have now mated? 
Yeah, we had an extremely uh, busy period. We've now had uh, 19 of our 21 breeding age females mate, and that's all been within the last two and a half weeks. Wow, that's pretty intense. Yes, very, very, very intense, very busy, but um, very exciting. Now, by the way, who are the two females who haven't mated yet, and are they showing any signs? Uh, the two females that we have left are Mila and Hinamoa. Mila has moved up to some of the high points of the island, so we suspect that she is having a look around and listening to some of the boys booming and that she might not be far away from mating. Uh, the other female, Hinamoa, uh, she came up at the start of kind of that breeding flurry and had a look around, but now she's headed back to the more uh, remote parts of the island, so she might be some time off yet. Now, with all this activity going on, describe what's an average day for you now. So what do you have to do? And I'm not thinking hut and data entry. I'm imagining you've got a whole lot of other jobs on at the moment. Yes, yes, we um, we definitely do. Um, we wake up early in the morning and we check our um, data systems because it's always important to basically get an idea of uh, if there's been any new matings overnight. Um, but then it's all out on the hill uh, where we spend it going out and radio tracking our females to get an idea of where they are and what their activity levels are like. So that lets us know if they might be nesting. And if we suspect that, then we need to track in on them and find where their nests are and see if they're incubating some eggs. And then um, at this stage of the program, we've just started shifting into our night work. So that means um, heading out just before dark and staying at our nest camps. And when the female departs the nest, we can go in and we can count the eggs and assess their fertility and also check that their development is heading along the right path. And we can also assess the uh, safety of her nest just to make sure that it's um, safe for her to be incubating eggs there. Who was the first female to nest, and what can you tell us about her nest and how many eggs she's laid? And, of course, the big question, any idea yet whether those eggs are fertile? Uh, Yes, the first female we had to um, nest was Waikawa. Um, So she is in a uh, large rada hollow that kind of runs runs along the ground in some really um, dense bush quite close to the coastline. We've been able to um, get out and find that she has three eggs. Um, the oldest two happen to be fertile, but the third one is just a bit too young yet for us to check its fertility. So exciting news um, with Waikawa so far. How many females have you got nesting now? We've currently got uh, seven females nesting on Anchor Island, but we've got quite a few more That'll be um, very close to nesting soon. Now, when you're out at night doing all this work, do you ever cross paths with any kakapo? And if you do, what's it like? What are these encounters like? Yes, uh, there's quite a few uh, kakapo out on the hills at the moment. Um, So we quite often run into the males as they hang around their bowls and um, at night time especially when they're they're around booming and chinging, trying to attract the ladies. Um, We run into them quite often. And with our female birds now starting to nest, we've actually installed uh, infrared cameras in their nest. So just the other night when I was out um, staying at one of our nest camps, I was able to watch Wa um, on a monitor return to her eggs after a night out feeding um, and just rotate them and reshuffle them uh, before she incubates them and goes to sleep. So a lovely intimate moment. Yes, very, very special to be able to sit there and see the birds uh, interact um, and show behaviours that you don't normally get to see in kind of everyday, everyday monitoring. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks for sharing with us. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brody. That was Brody Philp, and he's one of the Kakapo Rangers. Now, Brody mentioned that Kakapo make a noise known as chinging as well as booming. 
This is what that sounds like. So that chinging was being made by a male called Merv. He was one of the original birds found on Stewart Island. In his case, he was discovered in 1989 and relocated to Whenuaho, Codfish Island. Now, he hasn't yet produced any offspring. Perhaps his booming and chinging is just not sexy enough. Enough with the speculation. Let's get some more facts from another kākāpō expert, Daryl Eason. Hi, Alison. Now, tell me what your job is and how long you've been involved with the Kākāpō programme for. I'm the Kākāpō Technical Officer for the Kākāpō Recovery Programme and my focus is to do with breeding and health management of the birds. And I've been working with them now for 23 years. And I imagine you know all of them very well by now. I do. I've met all the Kākāpō and I know them all very well. I know who um, the parents are and where they came from originally, so yeah, it's good to know. Fantastic. Now, I understand that you have also just come off Anchor Island. Um, How long were you there for and what were you doing? Yes, I just came off this morning and I was there only for a quick visit one week. And because it's been such an early breeding season already and we weren't quite ready starting-wise, I was I was just out there with a couple of extra of us to give additional support while we were finding nests. So we just have found seven nests in the last week. Fantastic, and a whole lot more to come. Yes, there are 21 females on Ancron, and, and I suspect most of them will, will nest. Fantastic. Now, do Kākāpō use the same nest every year? Not always. Some do and some don't. So already of the seven... Two of them are using the same nest they had three years ago. So what's a typical kākāpō nest? Where do they nest? So it's usually in a cavity of some sort. Um, They love hollow logs or hollows under root masses, Um, just natural cavities, especially rata trees and totara, um, provide good holes. Or it might sometimes just be under a dense grass tussock type thing like a garnia or just in a hole, a natural hole beside a rock or something like that. Usually good cover. So somewhere nice and dark and sheltered, what's actually on the nest floor? It is just the earth substrate usually. So on Anchor and Ho, it's all peat. So it's just usually peaty. Sometimes there might be a few leaves in the nest or there might be a bit of um, dry, rotten wood powder from a hollow log. Now, I gather that sometimes you decide to do a bit of nest renovation if you don't think the nest is up to scratch. What does that involve, and what do the females think about it, and have you had to do much of that so far on anchor? Well, first of all, we want to be able to get into the nest to safely take eggs and chicks in and out. Yeah, quite often it can be a long reach from the entrance maybe a metre or more, two or three metres sometimes, and sometimes the nest entrance is really quite small. So we might dig into the side of the nest and get access that way and make a hatch. Um, And if there are safety reasons, the log or stump they're nesting in might be quite rotten, there might be rotten pieces of wood above the, the cavity of the nest that could fall on the eggs or 
chicks, so we can remove some of that. We might dig drainage channels around the nest if it's on a location that water could flow into the nest. And we often put a tarpaulin fly around the nest to try and reduce the amount of rain they can get in or block up areas, hollows in the tree trunk above. There might be a chimney or something that the water can run down. So, yeah, we've already done a bit of that work on Anchor Island on those nests. The main ones are putting putting the flies up to protect the nests from the rain because Anchor Island has a lot of rain in Western Fiordland. And also the nests in hollow logs or hollow in the base of tree stumps often have multiple cavities and little holes that run down where old roots have rotted out. So there's, there's often little holes that an egg could roll down on. Um, so we filled up some of them and usually just fill them in with soil and that sort of thing. This sounds like a particular kakapo leaky home problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, it's quite surprising sometimes and, and sometimes the cavities can be quite fragile and have multiple levels. So you, you've got to be quite careful. What do the females think of it all? They don't seem to mind that much, actually. Um, they might have a look at it and think, oh, that's new. And um, once they've seen it, they just happily attend to their egg and, and don't really give it much of a second thought afterwards. And we'll put a, usually put a camera in and a sensor across the entrance. So the sensor is just a, a beam and a reflector um, either side of the entrance. Um, so they might have a look at that once or twice and and then just ignore it. Gosh, they're tolerant, aren't they? They're incredibly tolerant. So we're really fortunate um, that you can really just do all sorts of work with and around them, and they are very accepting. Um, They don't like the eggs being moved to a different location. So, I mean, you can pull the eggs in and out and, and, and check them, and that's fine, but they like them to be put back where they where they had them. Jolly good. Hey, now in the 2016 breeding season, quite a few of those young female birds that you've got on Anchor Island mated, but they laid infertile eggs. Do you have any idea why there were so many infertile eggs in that year? And are you hopeful that this year might be a little more successful? Yeah, well, I am hopeful, as ever, that it will be a bit more successful this year. Last year, most of the birds on Anchor Island, it was their first breeding event ever ever for both the males and the females. So a lot to do is being young and inexperienced, probably I'm hoping with just that second time round that a lot of the birds will will have more experience this time and fertility could be better. And some birds it's to do with how frequently they mate as well and um, it's really helpful if they mate with a couple of different males um, or two or three times rather than just the once. It it increases fertility a lot. But we can't encourage that, so um, that's entirely their choice, especially on Anchor Island. Um, So we'll just have to take that as it comes and and over the next few days we'll be starting to see what the fertility is like. So far, though, I've already seen that Waikawa's first two eggs are fertile and her third egg was just too young to to tell it. It was only a day old, so too young to tell at that stage. 
What's happening with Kuia, the important Fiordland female? Tell me about her. Well, she's already mated two or three times, and normally it takes average about nine days before they lay their first egg after the last mating. So she's just past that now. So we are to be expecting a nest any day. And the transmitters record their daily activity, um, and it's just starting to drop. So I suspect she's almost ready for nesting. Gosh, these birds have no privacy, do they? <laughs> no, they don't really. Although it's all from a distance, we don't see them. It's just just what their transmitter tells us. Fair enough. Now let's shift our focus to the other big kākāpō island, to Whenuaho Codfish Island. What's been happening there and how many females have mated so far? Um, I think we're up to 12 this morning. Um, I was a bit of a rush leaving Anchoron and so yeah, it's, it's 12 or 13. And so that's really good. A bit a slightly slower start to anchor it, but they're starting to ramp up now. I think there were four birds last night. So three of them were second time around. So yeah, looking good. Um, we've had just the one nest. We had pearl mating very early, the earliest we've ever had. She mated on the 18th and 20th of December. So what's the news from Pearl's nest? She started laying eggs about the 24th of December and she had three eggs but unfortunately she had a big fight with a petrel in her nest that she must have been sharing the same cavity with a petrel and we've seen it in the past if an intruder comes into a kākāpō nest the mum is not impressed and she'll she'll do all her best to look after her eggs but in the <laughs> in the moment of aggression and um she forgets about the most important thing that she's looking after it. So in the fight with the petrol, she um, one of her eggs got broken and she rolled one another out of the nest and cracked it, and the other one was okay. And she even killed the petrol. Crikey! Um, so that the two surviving eggs, the one was patched up and both were taken back to the incubator. But as it happens, they are actually infertile. So what's likely to happen now? Will she remate? Yeah, it's, it's very early in the season still, so I'm sure normally if they're going to mate again, it, they'll probably have another couple of weeks off. She'll um, get conditioned up again, and usually it's about three weeks between leaving one nest and beginning the second nest. Sometimes, like in the last breeding season, you have actually taken the first clutch of eggs away from a female so that you're basically encouraging her to remate and then renest. Any thoughts of doing that again this year, other than just Pearl, which is, you know, she's basically done that herself? That's right. Um, yes, and it does give us a great opportunity this year. Um, I guess we're always thinking about how can we increase the population of Kākāpō faster. So with this many birds mating this early in the year, um, we do have the chance of double clutching a lot of birds and really ramping up the um, egg numbers produced. So we're working out how much we can do at the moment and we've got to think about logistics and where we're going and who's going to help um, with hand rearing because those first nests, will, the chicks will have to be hand reared. So yeah, we've got a bit to sort out at the moment but I think we're probably going to go down that road at least with a few birds, and we'll start on anchor.
How old are kakapo when they start breeding? Um, about five years old, especially the females. The females are usually the most likely to nest at five years old. The males, any time between five and ten, they get started with their booming, and a few males will mate, but it's less likely until they get a bit older. But so far we haven't had any fertility from males that have been 10 years old or less. So already we've had one five-year-old tohu has just mated. In fact, she's mated twice, and the second time was with a very important bird, Kuya's brother, um, Sinbad. Ah, so another Fjordland bird. Excellent. Yes. So that was very good. So he was the second bird to mate with her. So it's always best, um, the greater chance of paternity comes from the last bird to mate with. Two-thirds of the the final mating are likely to be the fathers. Now we know that kākāpō can live a very long time, even if we don't know exactly how long. Do they get too old and just stop breeding at some point? Some birds, like especially um, Richard Henry, the last fjordland bird, he really um, didn't boom or do much for the last 10 years of his life. Um, how old he was then, we have no idea, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was in his 80s or 90s. Um, but yes, they do slow down a bit, and others will just breed right up until the end of their life, and suddenly all is looking well, and then suddenly they're dead. Any other exciting yes. news that we need to know about? No, I don't think there's anything really exciting other than what's happening is just just finding those nests and and seeing all the matings coming on so rapidly this early in the year. It's just great. There does appear to be a lot of fruit on the trees, so hopefully um, that fruit will come to fruition and ripen and provide a bumper food source and a lot of the chicks will be raised by their mums. So that's your ideal scenario? Yes, yeah, it is. But having said that, the hand-red birds are still very good and it's really hard to tell the difference between a hand-red mother and a naturally raised mother. They're still very good mums themselves. They're just way more protective of their nest. (laughs) They're more likely to rush out of the nest and, and yell and scream and growl at you and chase you away. Oh, that's interesting. So they're just a bit bolder about um, yeah, defending their nest. Very confident. and yeah. So they behave to us like they might behave to a petrel or any other intruder that comes too close. Thanks, Daryl. That's Daryl Eason. And it's really interesting to hear how protective those kākāpō mums are when it comes to looking after their eggs and their chicks, if they'll even take on a person. Disappointing, though, that Pearl's eggs were all infertile, which really just proves what we've talked about in previous episodes of The Kakapo Files, never count your chicks until they hatch. I'm Alison Balance, and this was episode four of The Kakapo Files from RNZ, recorded on the 10th of January, 2019. We'll be back in about a week, but until then, if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with anyone else you think might like it. You can find us online at rnz.co.nz, just search for Kākāpō. You can also listen for free by subscribing to us as a podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and many other podcast places. Don't forget, Doc's Kākāpō Recovery is on Facebook and Instagram. You can follow Andrew Digby and myself on Twitter. 
Or you can check out my book, Kākāpō Rescued from the Brink of Extinction. This is the Kākāpō Files from RNZ. Thanks for listening. And just in case you can't get enough of that chinging, here's Merv again. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.